Black Mesa Research Facility. Missing a scheduled urinalysis or radiation checkup is grounds for immediate termination. If you feel you have been exposed to radioactive or other hazardous materials in the course of your duties, contact your radiation safety officer immediately. Work safe. Work smart. Your future depends on it. Now arriving at Sector C Test Labs and Control Facilities. Stand back from the automated door and wait for the security officer to verify your identity. Before exiting the train, be sure to check your area for personal belongings. Thank you, and have a very safe and productive day. Morning, Mr. Freeman. Looks like you're running late. fucking kicking ass on the church oh you fucking oh 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 get some church baby get some real motherfucking church like
We gotta find out what the band's called. Let's check it out. Hold up, man. Dine? Oh, that's the guy's name. So let's find out what it is. Hey, look, everything is stories is Mike Martinez. Right? Right, really? Huh? Okay, cool. Cool, so I produce this shit. That's cool. Okay, what res metal is? It's res metal. Reservation metal. Let's do it. Reservation metal, baby. My name is Kyle Felter. We're in Windrock, Arizona, my hometown, in a Hogan on my drummer's family's land. And this is basic dwelling of the Navajo that they used to you know, live in and culture-wise. And, and to me, a Hogan's the uh, best place to play metal. <laughs> I would like to record it here, you know? I think it would sound really tight. There's a lot of bands, heavy metal bands, on a Navajo reservation. And for some reason, this music, this subculture, seems to permeate with, with the youth. What res metal is, is uh, res is sort of a, an inside word for reservation. Our brand of metal is different than anybody else. And whether you grew up with it or, like myself, sort of tagged along with it and made it your own, it's blowing up. My mom, when I was in the womb, she would put headphones on and blast Metallica, Iron Maiden, Scorpions, Megadeth. And so, I, yeah, I guess I was, I came out a metalhead. I grew up, you know, listening to Iron Maiden. I love the album covers. It made sense. Oh, I just like dark imagery. Because, you know, it's not too great around here. It just takes you somewhere else. A lot of artists around here on the Navajo Nation, they, they, they write about what goes on. Um, the struggles and, you know, uh, experiences here on the reservation that a lot of people outside of the reservation don't know about. A lot of frustration, a lot of... Uh, a lot of boredom out here, I guess you could say, you know, you need to find some way to, somewhere to channel it and something positive, you know. We grew up poor, you know, but it's just like letting out aggression and energy. If we didn't have that metal subculture, <laughs> There'll be a lot more dead people around here because people are angry and frustrated everywhere. But for us in this barren, I guess it's not a wasteland, it's really beautiful, but it's, it's depressing being here. Suicide rate is a big, the biggest killer around here. And on the reservation, and it comes in waves. I mean, I've lost a couple friends over the past few years to, you know, to suicide. And, uh, and it, it really sucks and like you don't even see it there's like signs that you would see but sometimes you don't see it and yeah 
that's what's pretty crazy. Growing up on the res is basically a constant struggle. There's no jobs. There's little to no opportunity. You have cultural roots um, that you grew up with, with your grandparents and your family, your parents. Before Western expansion, you know, we were we were all right. We took care of ourselves and we were very self-sufficient. But when we had to conform to Western culture, that's where everything pretty much went straight to hell after that for us. Like I'm not a activist or anything, but I'm aware of our history and I, I'm proud to be a Navajo. It's hard to balance that cultural heritage as well as trying to live in the 21st century. It's a constant struggle. If the cultural trauma passed down is what we play, how we feel, the anger, that aggression, growing our hair out. Just to find a, a safe haven for everybody, you know, just to get to a show of music, metal. And it does it for you. It possesses you. <laughs> like, that's why we do That's a lot of people do it. I know a lot of people, it's, it's changed their lives, it's saved their lives, and, and that's what keeps them going. reservation and the reservation is far apart and there's no venues so they host shows wherever they can whether it's in the middle of nowhere they throw a show anywhere that diy mentality and attitude is one of the backbones to this to this res metal scene yeah diy you know do it yourself it's just really natural for us and it's always been that way. Even, you know, when we had our band going, we would make our own stage and, you know, put up a show. You know, that's, I think that was the enjoyment of doing things, you know. And it still is. You do it because you love it. So, you know, it doesn't matter how, if you have to build a stage or, you know, get a, a flatbed truck to use as your stage. Oh, the passion with these red shows, it's... It's remarkable. I think this is this is an underground phenomenon that the world needs to see. For me, I, I get I get into this mentality. I'm kind of you know just easy going guy, you know. But like when you get on stage and like you have that mic and everything is like loud and then, like, it just does something to you. It, like it switches it switches you on. And, like you, you're, I'm, I, I'm there to entertain you. I'm there to put on a show. I'm there to create a spectacle of myself, you know, because that's what it is. It's art. It's an art form. In around 1990, you know, you had death metal come along, so that kind of scared people, you know. Maybe that was the last time that you felt any kind of feelings about music you know kind of that dangerous attitude that rock stars talk about you know and when death metal came along black metal you know that kind of brought that spirit back because it wasn't just an act so the black metals really lived that life you know we were uh, more of embracing dark sides of our culture things that you're not supposed to talk about you know the, the black magic those kind of things get in a whole different state of mind than who we were before um just like you know if you were to put a mask on you know you put that mask on 
nobody knows it's you, so you can be a whole different person. To to us, it it kind of like relates to um, Navajo culture as well, because uh, like in Navajo culture, there's um, like uh, witches. They're called uh, Yenikoshi, and they have something similar, like how the corpse paint looks, like it's black and white. And I think that's that's the reason why we use it as well. Just like Western cultures, you have your good and bad. Over here, it's the same too. We have our good and bad. Uh, the good, you know, there's traditional ceremonies, healing ceremonies. You know, you go to go see a medicine man, get healed, you know, spiritually. And then there's the opposite of that. There's people that are out there that want to hurt you. And then they'll paint their face using ash and then they'll get blood, whatever, wipe it on their face and just go out and conjure up their their spells and try and make the person that they're out to get make their life their own living hell. bands are doing like right now currently are trying to show people around here that metal's not all that bad especially here you know here on the reservation metal metal is really popular and just people don't see it because a lot of people like to advertise all the country shit it's frowned upon this is like country town mostly country music they don't play metal on local stations I have a lot of respect for all these bands you know we're, we're not out here to put heads and say who's who's better than who it's just it's just one big family I'm grateful for my struggles that I've been through and you know I'm proud proud to be you know Native American and to be a Native American that plays metal as in the words of my cousin Ed, shut up and jam. You gotta live fast and play fast.
What is going on ladies and gentlemen, AJ Good here at House of Masks. The mask channel you never wanted, but you have now. And you know, I get asked a lot if my life-size Michael Myers freaks me out, or Slappy the Dummy, any of these masks, if I ever just get scared walking through my house. And the answer is no. They never really catch me off guard. Maybe the first day or two that I haven't put up if I walk into the house and forget that they're there. But the mannequins and stuff themselves don't scare me. So what would freak me out if it's in my house? Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. There is a band from Australia with some of the freakiest imagery that I can remember seeing in my entire life. Genuine nightmare fuel. I made a post about this band recently on my Instagram and people lost their fucking minds. I'm still getting DMs and comments four or five days later thanking me for introducing people to this band. That band is Portal. Now, before I get into it with the band's imagery, I want to make it very clear that Portal is not for everybody. Their actual music is not for everyone. The music they play truly matches their imagery, and it makes for very hard listening. I can't even really place the band in any sort of genre aside from just metal in general because they don't have a sound. I imagine that their music is what it sounds like to be in hell. But enough of that, I'm not a music channel, I'm a mask channel, so let's talk about their look. While most of the band members just wear black cloth hoods, some have the eyes cut out, one of the guys even has a noose wrapped around his neck, the real main course here, the entree if you will, is the curator, the vocalist for the band. He's had many looks over the years and not one of them doesn't freak me out at least a little bit. So I'm gonna go ahead and put them in order real quick from my least favorite to my favorite and show you guys some images of them as we go. First up, my least favorite look, not to say that it's not a cool look, it's just my least favorite because his looks are so fucking scary, I have to place this one at the bottom. The Dark Pope. I do feel like this look is fucking rad, I just think that it's low on my list because the Pope thing has been done so many times since then, most notably with Marilyn Manson and Ghost. I do believe that the curator did this look before Ghost ever happened, so I think that they had the Dark Pope before Papa was ever a thing. But with that being said, Ghost has gotten huge, so we have definitely seen an increase in Dark Popes on Instagram and Pinterest and just in the mainstream media of heavy metal or the mask world. But the curator did do the Dark Pope before Ghost, so suck on that. If you're not down with that, then we've just got two words for you. Next up, we have the witch hat. This is another faceless version. This look just features a massive witch-style hat that covers the entire head and face of the curator. How he sees, let alone sings through that, is beyond me because there really doesn't appear to be any sort of opening whatsoever. But the fact that it's just a shape covering a human head is really fucking freaky to me. There doesn't have to be a lot going on. It's just weird to look at. Next up, probably the most infamous look from the band is the clock head. Who the fuck wouldn't think that this is cool? I fucking love this look. It's actually second on my list. I believe that this was the first glimpse of Portal that I ever saw years and years ago in some sort of metal magazine. I can't really remember what it was, but I remember seeing a small article about them and the clock head in a small photo, and I immediately went home and looked them up. Once again, another faceless inanimate object in place of a human head. This look itself really embodies how I perceive Portal. I feel like the curator is an ever-changing being that just kind of floats through time and picks where he wants to come out and how he wants to come out. So he makes a physical embodiment out of a piece of time and history. Sometimes he's a medieval queen, sometimes he's a witch, sometimes he's a pope, or sometimes he is time himself, thus giving us the clock head. 
Now the clock head itself actually features a small infinity sign with an hourglass behind it, thus further proving my point or my theory there. And the fact that the band is called Portal means that this dude has a portal or is a portal or whatever. That's just how I see it. So maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm looking too far into it, but those just seem like coincidences that are way too cool not to be true, so I'm going to say that they're true. Side note, I would really...
fucking boss holy shit the person that that oh man they're just fucking so badass <laughs> 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 don't get me wrong cannibal course is cool Sepultura, their boss, you know, Slayer, their boss, Metallica, their boss. And then there's this one band, I forgot what they're called. Dang, I gotta play them again. They were a fucking boss. Damn, I forgot their name though. Shoot, I can see the album in my brain. Just can't think of the name. Oh man, it was like a industrial metal, it was fucking badass. Not Nail Bomb. Nail Bomb was good, though. But uh, who was it? Fudge. Anyways, let's get back to this band. I'll think about it. I'll be all meditating on it, sucking sucking my own dick uh, on the subject. You know what I mean? I'll be all, oh, 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 I just fucking came. Oh, yeah, I got it now. So here we go. You're on the Brian Bishop. find it. Let me see. Industrial. But I just look at that. Let me see. So I don't even remember one of their songs. Let's see. Uh, nine, let's see. 1995 Industrial Metal Bands. That's what I'll write. I'll write Industrial Metal Bands of 1995. Let's see. Let's see. Because it was fucking 
metal. It was just badass. I had the tape. I played it like a million times. I was like, guys, check this band. That's bad. Yeah. Oh, uh, that sucks. Yeah, it sucks because it's not on the fucking radio, huh, bitches? Bitches, yeah, badass because they're not on the radio. But you know, I wasn't the radio type of dude. Oh, I like. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the. Radio, but we gotta find it right now. Let's do it. Oh man, really, guys? That's all you guys got for me? Come on. Come on. There we go, there we go, we got this, we got this. I think we got this, guys. I think we got this, guys. Let me try it. Those are the only one. They're only playing, oh man, they're only showing like popular shit. Okay. Uh, I hate when they do that. So let me see. Oh no, I'll find it. I'll find it, guys. Don't. Once I get it, I'm gonna be so excited. I'm gonna be playing it for days. I'll be all. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, shit, I'll find it because I know it was on like oh it's weird oh there it is boom bitches oh dang I got it guys oh I got it you guys ready for it you guys ready <laughs> it's like it's like dead air on the 88.3 FM right now it's kind of funny except my voice that's funny but anyways here we go nail bomb bitches
Sanchez. show is brought to you by Jim Beam. Kentucky bourbon, baby. Oh, straight up. Oh. And Mississippi mud, black and tan. Porter and Pilsner beer. Oh, shit. That shit's so good. Tastes like a nice hot chocolate. Oh, oh God. Slow good. That's Nail Bomb, guys. Do you guys remember Nail Bomb? Does anybody even know who Nail Bomb was? I did. I had their fucking tape. I was playing that shit over and over and over and over and over. I was playing that shit on my little radio show, Happy Time Radio Show, way back in the day. Damn, we should do some Happy Time Radio Show. That'd be sweet. But we're going to be doing some Happy Time Radio Show with the... The gentleman that used to live across the street from the other guy that used to be in my show, Happy Time Radio. Oh, but we want to, I kind of, I kind of, oh, wait a minute, Phil and Selma and the illegals. Oh, snap, let's do it.
Alright, that's all we got for now. See you guys in a little bit. Cheers.
Thank you. 
like four friends of mine that are gonna be here for the big reveal and honestly I can't wait to show the entire world. largest nuclear weapon would vaporize everything within five kilometers and kill nearly everyone within nine. At 20 kilometers, most buildings would collapse and many would catch fire. Everyone would be injured and many would die. At 50 kilometers, people would see the flash and approach their windows before the pressure wave arrived, sending shards of glass into Russia has released long secret footage of the bomb's detonation, the largest explosion in history.
The parachute allowed the pilots to travel 45 kilometers before the explosion. They had been given a 50% chance of survival. The shock wave caught the plane, causing it to drop a kilometer, but it landed safely. A mushroom cloud rose 70 kilometers high and 100 kilometers wide. But far more dangerous weapons have now been deployed and they raise the risk of a nuclear war that could suddenly end civilization. There are 15,000 nuclear weapons, mostly in the US and Russia. If you live in a city with a military base, an airport, or a major university, there's a missile pointed at you. A Trident submarine can carry a hundred hydrogen bombs, a thousand times more powerful than the Hiroshima bomb. And nowhere is safe. Even a war between India and Pakistan, two of the smallest nuclear powers, would threaten us all. Within two weeks, the smoke would spread around the earth. And at an altitude of 30 kilometers, it never rains, so the smoke would remain for years, blocking the sun. Crops would be devastated, and it's estimated that one to two billion people would starve to death. In a war between the US and Russia, Civilization would be destroyed, and any survivors would face a very dark, difficult world. Scientists warned that this nuclear winter could arrive suddenly, sparked by new nuclear weapons. In the 1980s, the public was very aware of this risk. When the nuclear arms race was revived, a quarter of a million people protested in London, and a million in New York. A traumatic arms reduction followed, which may well have prevented catastrophe. President Reagan said, a great many reputable scientists are telling us that such a war could end up in no victory for anyone because we would wipe out the earth as well. I'm now seeing some journalists saying, what is going on? It makes them... Since we came and sat here, you're half an hour closer to your grave. You must go and volunteer in a hospice or in a hospital ward where people die. Last moment when it comes when they die, they're just bewildered. My question is, suppose humanity makes it past this very tumultuous phase we're in right now, what would we do if we reach an ideal society where everyone is uh, peaceful and together? What would our end game be? What would we strive towards? No. Is it a deal between you and these guys? <laughs> See, look at it this way. Because uh, you can't really figure what all these people want. Look at yourself. Right now you're thinking you want to become an engineer. Let's say right now I make you an engineer, this moment. Then you're thinking you need a job, I got your job. Then you're thinking you need a promotion, I got you. Then you think you need an award, I got you. Health and wellness is a trillion dollar industry for a reason. We are living in a society that has done a great job of
I found that nothing in life is worthwhile unless you take risks. Nothing. Nelson Mandela said, there is no passion to be found playing small and settling for a life that's less than the one you're capable of living. Now, I'm sure in your experiences in school and applying to college and picking your major and deciding what you want to do with life, I'm sure people have told you to make sure you have something to fall back on. Make sure you got something to fall back on, honey. But I never understood that concept, having something to fall back on. If I'm going to fall, I don't want to fall back on anything except my faith. I want to fall forward. I figure at least this way I'll see what I'm going to hit. Fall forward. This is what I mean. Reggie Jackson struck out 2,600 times in his career, the most in the history of baseball. But you don't hear about the strikeouts. People remember the home runs. Fall forward. Thomas Edison conducted 1,000 failed experiments. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Because the 1,001st was the light bulb. Fall forward. Every failed experiment is one step closer to success. You've got to take risks, and I'm sure you've probably heard that before, but I want to talk to you about why that's so important. First, you will fail at some point in your life. Accept it. You will lose. You will embarrass yourself. You will suck at something. There's no doubt about it. And I know that's probably not a traditional message for a graduation ceremony, but hey, I'm telling you, embrace it because it's inevitable. And I should know. In the acting business, you fail all the time. Early on in my career, I auditioned for a part in a Broadway musical. Perfect role for me, I thought, except for the fact that I can't sing. So I'm, I'm in the wings. I'm about to go on stage. But the guy in front of me, he's singing like, like, like Pavarotti. He's just, he's just going on and on and on. And I'm just shrinking. I'm getting smaller and smaller. So they say, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And you will, you'll be hearing from us. So I come out with my little sheet music, and it, it was, it was uh, just my imagination by the Temptations. That's what I came up with. So I hand it to the, 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 the accompanist, and uh, she looks at it and looks at me and looks out at the director and is like, nice. So I, I start, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to sing. I'm like, this is my imagination once again. And then coming away with me. And I'm not saying anything, so I'm thinking I'm getting better. So I, I could start getting into it. It was just <laughs> Running. This, oh, yeah, thank, yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Washington. Thank you. So I assumed I didn't get the job. But the next part of the audition, he called me back. The next part of the audition is the acting part of the audition. So I'm like, hey, okay, maybe I can't sing, but I know I can act. So they pair me with this guy. And again, I didn't know about musical theater. And musical theater is big, so they can reach everyone all the way in the back of, of the stadium. And I'm more from a realistic, uh, naturalistic kind of acting where you, you know, you actually talk to the person next to you. So I, I don't know what my line was. My line was, well, 
hand me the cup. And his line was, well, I will hand you the cup, my dear. The cup will be there to be handed to you. I, I said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, should I give you the cup back? Oh, yes, you should give it back to me because you know that is my cup and it should be given back to me. I didn't get the job. But here's the thing, I didn't quit. I didn't fall back. I walked out of there to prepare for the next audition and the next audition and the next audition. I prayed, I prayed and I prayed. But I continued to fail and fail and fail. But it didn't matter because you know what? There's an old saying, you hang around the barbershop long enough, sooner or later you're going to get a haircut. So you will catch a break, and I did catch a break. Yahoo Finance says there's a new mega trend taking Wall Street by storm. Last year, I did a play called Fences on Broadway. Someone talked about it. Won the Tony Award. I, and I didn't have to sing, by the way. <laughs> but here's the kicker. It was at the court theater. It was at the same theater that I failed that first audition 30 years prior. The point is, every graduate here today has the training and the talent to succeed. But do you have the guts to fail? Here's my second point about failure. If you don't fail, you're not even trying. I'll say it again. If you don't fail, you're not even trying. My wife told me this great expression. To get something you never had, you have to do something you never did. Les Browns, a motivational speaker, he made an analogy about this. He says, imagine you're on your deathbed and standing around your deathbed are the ghosts representing your unfulfilled potential. The ghost of the ideas you never acted on. The ghost of the talents you didn't use. And they're standing around your bed angry, disappointed, and upset. They say, we, we came to you because you could have brought us to life, they say. And now we have to go to the grave together. So I ask you today, how many ghosts are going to be around your bed when your time comes? You've invested a lot in your education and people have invested in you. And let me tell you, the world needs your talents, man, does it ever. I just got back from Africa like two days ago, so if I'm rambling on, it's because I'm jet lagged. I just got back from South Africa. It's a beautiful country, but there are places there with terrible poverty that need help. And Africa is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg. The Middle East needs your help. Japan needs your help. Alabama needs your help. Tennessee needs your help. Louisiana needs your help. Philadelphia needs your help. The world needs a lot, and we need it from you. We really do. We need it from you young people. I mean, I'm not speaking for the rest of us up here, but I know I'm getting a little grayer. We need it from you, the young people. So you got to get out there. You got to give it everything you got, whether it's your time, your talent, your prayers, or your treasures. Because remember this, you will never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You will never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. 
You want to know a little trick to make all the women chase you? <sighs> you can't take it with you. The Egyptians tried it. And all they got was robbed. So the question is, what are you going to do with what you have? I'm not talking about how much you have. Some of you are business majors, some of you are theologians, nurses, sociologists, some of you have money, some of you have patience, some of you have kindness, some of you have love, some of you have the gift of long-suffering, whatever it is, whatever your gift is, what are you going to do with what you have? All right, now here's my last point about failure. Sometimes it's the best way to figure out where you're going. Your life will never be a straight path. I began at Fordham University as a pre-med student. I, 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 I took a course called the car, cardiac morphogenesis. I still can't say it. Cardiac, cardiac morphogenesis. I couldn't read it. I couldn't say it. I sure couldn't pass it. <laughs> so then I decided to go into pre-law, then journalism. And with no academic focus, my grades took off in their own direction. Yeah, down. I was a 1.8 GPA one semester, and the university very politely suggested that it might be better to take some time off. I was 20 years old. I was at my lowest point. And then one day, and I remember the exact day, March 27, 1975, I was helping my mother in her beauty shop. My mother owned a beauty shop up in Mount Vernon. And there's, there was this older woman who was uh, considered one of the elders in the town. And I didn't know her personally, but I, I was looking in the mirror and every time I looked at the mirror, I could see her behind me and she was staring at me. She just kept looking at me. Every time I looked at her, she kept giving me these strange looks. So she finally took the dryer off her head and said something, she said something I'll never forget. First of all, she said, somebody give me a piece of paper, give me a piece of paper. She said, young boy, I have a prophecy, a spiritual prophecy. She said, you are going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Now, mind you, I'm 20 years old. I'm flunked out of school. In fact, like a wise ass, I'm thinking to myself, maybe she's got something in that crystal ball about me getting back into school next fall. But maybe she was on to something because later that summer, while working as a counselor at a YMCA camp in Connecticut, we put on a talent show for the campers. And after the show, another counselor came up to me and asked, have you ever thought about acting? You're good at that. So when I got back to Fordham that fall, I got in and I changed my major once again for the last time. And in the years that followed, just as that woman prophesied, I have traveled the world and I have spoken to millions of people through my movies. Millions who up till this day couldn't see me. I, who, who up till this day, I couldn't see while I was talking to them and they couldn't see me. They could only see the movie. They couldn't see the real me. But I see you today. And I'm encouraged by what I see. And I'm strengthened by what I see. And I love what I see.
איך זה שעם שלם הולך אחרי הוראת שקל? האם מנסים להסתיר מאיתנו משהו? אלפיים שנה משקרים לעם שלי. What if I was to tell you that the issue surrounding the mark of the beast has already started? And unfortunately, most people don't see it yet. So what is the issue surrounding the mark of the beast? Let's find out. The reason why a lot of people don't see it is because prophecy has taken a step back from the minds of believers. It is frightening to see the amount of Christians that shun the book of Revelation and even shun prophecy. The word of God was written to inform you, and with the way the world is changing, if you look at the Bible, you will see that everything that is happening is literally prophesied in the Bible. So I ask you this today, if anything like what the book of Revelations says is going to happen in the world, if the two witnesses are going to come to the earth, if the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to rise up in this world, if something like... ...of the beast will be introduced in the world. If there will truly be a time that no one can buy or sell without the mark, isn't it wise for you and I to study it? Isn't it in our best interest for us to understand it? Revelation 13, 14-17 speaks of the mark of the beast. But for us to understand the mark of the beast, we have to go back into time. At a point in eternity, Isaiah saw the fall of Satan. Isaiah 14, 12-14 How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. God did not move from his throne. He only needed to send the archangel Michael against Lucifer, and the end of it was that Lucifer was defeated, and along with the angels who joined in his rebellion, they were cast out of heaven. Revelation 12, 7-9 And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Pride captured the heart of Lucifer. He wanted to be exalted, He wanted to be worshipped. He saw the adoration and praise that God received, and he wanted it for himself. The fall of Lucifer is the first part you need to know. The second is the temptation of Jesus whilst he was on earth. The devil tempted Jesus Christ in three separate endeavors. The three areas Lucifer tempted Jesus was Cole, he's my miracle child. I've had 10 miscarriages, 
and I was never able to have any more children. So how does your miracle child get cancer? How does that happen? So it started off with vomiting for no reason. He was also getting headaches and it was getting to the point where he couldn't even walk home from school because he was in so much pain. We went to urgent care, uh, we really pushed for a CT scan. There was a, uh, a mass, uh, basically a tennis ball sized tumor at the, the base, of his, uh, base of his brain. Uh, we were then rushed over to our local children's hospital and they did the recession there. And that's when he told us that he had cancer. Those are the worst words you can ever hear as a parent, is that your child has cancer. Our oncologist reached out to St. Jude. St. Jude knew exactly what was happening. They already had a clinical trial going on, so he wasn't overtreated. He did 30 rounds of radiation, and then he had four rounds of chemo. What exactly is it that you're doing here? When we got here, we signed up for just about every research trial there was. The discoveries that St. Jude makes are shared freely around the world. What was important to me was knowing that anything that we did would help future kids. Because no child should die of cancer ever. Nice, huh? So we had busy days. But he saved his life. He gave him a life to live. After everything, I feel a lot better. Like, a lot better. This one. I have my dog, and I have my family, and now I'm here. Our family motto is family together strong. If it wasn't for St. Jude's and the people who, who donate and give money, I, I wouldn't have my boy. So, yeah, it, absolutely the people who give to St. Jude's are part of our family together strong was with the three areas he tempts people now also. He wanted Jesus to create bread out of stone in order to satisfy his own hunger. Then he wanted Jesus to jump from a pinnacle and tempt the promise of God, which says that angels will come to his rescue so he will not fall. And lastly, he wanted to tempt Jesus to kneel before him in exchange for the kingdoms of the world. This last one is the one we will be focusing on. Luke 4, 5 through 8. And the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. What did the devil want from Jesus? He wanted him to worship him and kneel before him. 
And what is the central issue of the mark of the beast? It is worship. Revelation 13 verse 15 to 17. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. This is why I am saying the issue regarding the mark of the beast has already started, because simply put, the issue regarding the mark of the beast is an issue of worship. And the issue of worship started when Satan wanted to exalt himself above the Most High. In the end times, the mark of the beast will be a literal mark that people will put on their foreheads and right hands, which will signify who they worship. The mark of the beast has not arrived yet, but... What this does is to prove once again how powerful that symbol of the pyramid actually is. It's only been in recent years. Who are you? 
thought growing up is wrong. My name is Scott Walter, and I'm a forensic geologist. There's a hidden history in this country that nobody knows about. There are pyramids here, chambers, tombs, inscriptions. They're all over this country. We're going to investigate these artifacts and sites, and we're going to get to the truth. Sometimes history isn't what we've been told. America has always been a refuge for people seeking the freedom to speak their minds and practice their beliefs in ways they couldn't elsewhere in the world. As a result, churches, the press, and even secret societies like the Freemasons have all prospered here in the United States. But now, the true mission of one of America's alleged secret societies is being exposed. And it seems to go against the very idea of freedom. I'm on my way to the Denver International Airport, said to house a secret base of an organization that calls itself the New World Order. have compared members of this illicit group to Nazis, claiming they're hell-bent on world domination and population control. I've been asked to investigate whether it's possible America's busiest airport really is sitting atop the command center for this cryptic organization. I'm here to meet someone who adamantly believes the New World Order has a hand in the Denver airport. But first, before I meet him, I'm going to check out what clues could be hidden around the airport myself. Sorry to bother you. My name is Scott. Hi, I'm Liana. Just get off a plane? Yeah, I just came in from Alaska. Okay. I just have a, a question for you. I know this is kind of strange, but did you notice the murals as you went by? I did not. Okay. What do you think when you see this? I wouldn't put it up in my house. It's a little disturbing. I, I don't care for it. It's pretty dark. Some people say these things are cryptic messages of a, uh, a dire future. I don't know what I think, but... I'm going to try to uncover the truth. Hey, Greg, this is Scott Walter. Yeah, my plane just got in, and um, I had a couple minutes to look around at your murals and some of the other things you mentioned, and I tell you what, I can't wait to talk to you. According to some, bizarre signs and symbols at the Denver airport are evidence that the New World Order manipulates everything going on in the world. 
Supposedly, the New World Order is a sinister organization that counts world leaders and the richest of society among its members. This shadowy syndicate is said to be planning global domination. Its very existence may have been inspired by an older secret society called the Illuminati, which was founded in Germany in 1776. People say both the New World Order and the Illuminati had the same mission, to take over the United States. By the 20th century, Adolf Hitler used the phrase New World Order to describe Nazism. President Woodrow Wilson, Winston Churchill, Okay, so this is an extremely high-tech $5,000 handheld telescope. It was developed so that military observation teams could do recon missions, view enemy positions, and covertly gather intel for up to 30 miles away without ever being seen by the enemy. It uses some of the most advanced telescopic technology in the world called BAK-4 Prism Optics. This technology detects beams of light that are unseen to the human eye and directs them through a prism that's locked inside the lens of this handheld telescope, allowing users to 10...